You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the craven too comes from the green dragon. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another Kylie's Around the World SVG tour. And this is the final episode, the last one, the last hurrah, my homecoming at the Art, uh, not the Articon, we've already had this discussion, I made this mistake last time, the Australian Masters. I have six absolutely ripper games for you today, and oh, I, I am I'm so excited to get into it. I, the anticipation for this event was absolutely palpable. I was looking forward to catching up with my family and friends. I was looking forward to getting in some crazy, crazy games with the bears. And yeah, this tournament was shaping up to be an absolute slugfest. So yeah, let's let's just get straight into it. So I arrive on the morning, uh, still feeling a little bit crook. Uh, you might be able to tell that my voice still hasn't quite recovered and I'm recording this the, uh, the, the Tuesday after the tournament. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting, to kind of getting down and dirty. I did have a little bit of a, kind of a peak. They had released the round draw for round one uh, on the Friday night. So I did know I was up against uh, Army of the Dead uh, in round one. So that was going to be an, an interesting, kind of like little, uh, not so much play out, but it was going to be interesting to see how this game was going to shake out. Now... For those of you that don't know, Masters is pooled vetoes, which means we will be selecting one scenario out of the pool that we do not want to play, and the remaining one is the one we end up with. So, round one was the uh, kill the enemy scenario, so Lords of Battle, Contest of Champions, and um, uh, To the Death. Now, I won the roll-off and basically said, get rid of... um. Just, just bugger off that uh, that annoying scenario uh, to the death since I don't have a banner. I figure that would be a good, really good way of starting off the tournament and getting myself in a decent position. Now, my opponent did have Aragorn, but he was up against two move wound models and bears, so he opted not to go for Contest of Champions and instead go for Lords of Battle. Actually, it's interesting that he did go for this because I actually had a high <laughs> a higher wound total than what my opponent did. So going uh, into the uh, scenarios and going into kind of how it was going to be um, uh, playing out, I won the roll-off to, to pick the board edge. So I just picked the side I was on. It wasn't too much of a difference. There was basically this big hilly rocky outcrop on my right flank and then a small kind of, not small, but like, not large either, like a, like, you know, about the size of a troll kind of a rock on the left flank. Now, I deployed my, um, my, uh, bay awnings exactly six inches, uh, sorry, not exactly, just over six inches away from the center line. I basically told my opponent, hey, look, I don't want to charge you on the first turn. Uh, I don't want you to charge me on the first turn dictated, uh, you know, with Aragorn and stuff. I'm going to set it up so that you can't charge me. And I do have the great bows as well, which in this game are going to be surprisingly useful. So Legolas comes down uh, on the right flank, up on this hilly rocky outcrop. Now the rocky outcrop would be defended if I went up to attack it. Uh, or I could go all the way around the back and try to assail it from that angle. So Legolas took a position up high, dropped some of his um, 
uh, warband down low, uh, and I basically put my uh, both my heroes kind of center in a good position to cover off any direction uh, that the um, uh, nasty um, uh, army of the dead would come out. He could technically charge my uh, my big scary heroes on turn one with a rider of the dead. But the way I'd set it up, it would be really uh, uninviting for him to do so. I could very easily call heroic combat and then transform off the heroic combat and basically have pick of the litter. Instead, my opponent went uh, King of the Dead front and center, and then Aragorn went on the left side of the flank. Now, when I did come down, I made sure that Aragorn couldn't charge turn one, and Aragorn was looking for a nasty flank into my left side. But I think what my opponent made a little mistake here was not realizing that bears are pretty strong at strength 8 and can actually crack through the front line pretty easily. So first turn uh, rolls my way, I get priority and I decide to punish my opponent's slight out of uh, misposition with Aragorn not being able to charge on turn 1 and transform both bears because again we can transform, get that extra inch and a half uh, of um, uh, base uh, width. And then an extra um, two inches of movement. So I was able to charge turn one with both bears. I went into the front line, screened off the combat so that the King of the Dead couldn't get into either bear, could get into a beyonding, but you know, fight five, do you really want to do that? Slowly walked up, walled off my left five, and then every single one of my archers stood still, uh, looking for a shot up at Legolas, who was sitting up on the hill. Because Legolas didn't bring armor in this game, he was just naked with the defense 4. So I'm figuring, great bows, defense 4, I have priority. I could do some serious damage here on turn 1. And serious damage I did. I took off 3 wounds on uh, Legolas, forcing him to burn through 2 Fae and take a wound himself. So that was not a really great start for Legolas. And he only did 1 wound back on his return volley fire. But yeah, this is why you take the great bows. It's, it's not for the... DPS is for the threat because after this one round of shooting, Legolas decided to come back, get behind a fence, and really try and make it so that I couldn't get up into him and get good shots at him for the remainder of the game. Meanwhile, my two bears went absolutely gangbusters in the first turn. I was debating whether to go to heroic combat, but I ended up figuring with um, Aragorn and the amount of money he has, I, was, I needed to be conservative, especially with the fact that I needed to wing combats and I don't have a battery roll so having the might for those combats was really really important in fact I actually used um, a point of might with Grimbay on turn one just to go in and you know win the combat and kill a couple of dead dudes which evened up the kill total uh, on turn one which was really really helpful for me going into turn two um, we kind of set up a little bit uh, I, I called the right move uh, lost the roll off Aragorn went free, and Aragorn finally got into combat this turn. Uh, but the problem is he wasn't in a really good spot to, like, heroic combat through. He was in uh, in an unfortunate position where he was forced to fight um, two bay awnings, so no heroic combats were going to really happen. And my bears were in this great position where they could basically hurl random barge and beat all sorts of nuisances. Grimbayon and Bayon uh, did some great work here. They absolutely minced another set of the front rank, and I got myself a really solid kill lead here. My opponent tried to make match happen with the King of the Dead, uh, getting into Grimbayon and striking up, but Bayon, uh, Grimbayon won the strike off, uh, uh, pushed back the King of the Dead, although it didn't kill him. 
uh, instead of preferring to kill one of the other guys and put some wounds down. The main thing here is I had pressure now on that right flank. And I was able to get even a cheeky barge on the next turn, on turn 3, with uh, Grim, uh, with Bayon, rolling high enough, and then sneaking into Legolas using a point of might uh, off that. And what that really did for me was it allowed me to get the reset, because Lords of Battle, whenever you kill an enemy hero, you get a point of might back. I was able to barge into Legolas, get the kill there, and really put him in a position where, well, he's down a whole bunch of might points. Um, the King of the Dead is in a really uh, awkward position, and I have all the time in the world now to get into Aragorn. Aragorn this turn uh, looks at coming in on, uh, get, finally cuts through some Bayonings uh, and gets into Grim Bayon. This was a turn I was a little bit worried. I ended up uh, striking up and trying to chase Aragorn. Uh, in fact, Aragorn really rolled really bad with the strike, and we're getting a 2, and I got up to flight 10. So I was thinking, right, this is a good turn. I could maybe. Hell, I've gone to a rock, getting prone, maybe get some damage down and get some wound through. But instead, Grimmeon decided to absolutely fluff his entire roll. And basically, roll four high with a single point of might left, and Aragorn rolled the six, pushed the bear back, and did a whole bunch of wounds. So, I was a bit worried at this point, because uh, Grimmeon took a, took a bit of a hit, uh, was in a very compromised position. Uh, but fortunately, I was still gaining the advantage of the main line, the... Uh, Bayonings were proving to be their worth weight in gold. Two ended axes and Burley were cutting through the uh, dead dudes uh, how I needed it. And on the next turn, I was able to trade Grim Bayon. Uh, he ended up dying to Aragorn. But in return, I got the King of the Dead with uh, the uh, with Bayon off a uh, really nasty barge. And basically, that's where the game was kind of written. Although he took off one of my big heroes. I had killed so many of the uh, Army of the Dead at this point that Aragorn had um, no support left. And we could have kept... Uh, th the game could have been more interesting if it kept going. I would have chased the, the big 10-0. But unfortunately, I, I just couldn't get into Aragorn at this point in the game. He just was in that like weird state where he's just striking up every turn and rolling sixes and winning the roll-offs. So I was like, well, I'm not going to risk my leader uh, and, and risk the major victory. So in the end, it was an 8-0 my way. And a really big start to the tournament here for me, uh, managing to cut through the army of the dead nice and proper. The bears are just proving to be absolutely amazing. I, I'm really loving the barge shenanigans you can do and the hurl shenanigans you can do by hurling com models into each other's combats to get CC and knock down. Because I did that in one of these turns to really trip up Aragorn to save Bayon, uh, Grim Bayon for another turn with Bayon. I uh, got the cheeky hurl off with a heroic combat, uh, forcing the initiative order, and Aragorn was locked into a strike, so yeah, a lot of fun there. So big thank you to Chris for that game, I uh, hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, but anyway, on to round two. So round two was a, well, an interesting game to say the least. Uh, I was up against Eric in uh, the Maelstrom missions, and Eric was running uh, Erebor Reclaimed. So, uh, new old Dane, uh, so, so the Venerable Dane, uh, and he also had uh, Nori and Dori, so the three attack behemoths. Uh, Nori has strike, and Dori, I believe, had defense. So I was a little bit worried uh, going into this game, because my opponent had a pretty sizable model count. 37 models, uh, all of which were high defense and a handful of goats in there, was definitely something that I was a little bit worried about going into. 
Uh, not so much for my ability to kill the models, uh, being belly and strength 4 with the option to pierce, but more the fact that in, uh, in the Maelstrom missions, being able to get on objectives and stuff is really, really important. Now, I immediately got rid of uh, uh, Command Battlefield because against 37 models with a global standfast uh, wasn't particularly the greatest idea to have to deal with uh, deal with that. And I don't think my opponent was going to give me access to Dane that easily. So my opponent ended up vetoing... Uh, 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 um, Aliens of Ages passed, which was expected. So we ended up playing Hold Ground uh, in this scenario. Now, as per usual on this trip, uh, whenever I practice the Maelstrom scenarios, I always practice going first because it's the harder thing to do. And as always on this trip, I end up going second. I lost priority on the first turn, which was great, but it meant, <laughs> but it meant that there was an opportunity for something really bizarre to happen in this game. So my opponent brought on all these warbands, uh, except for Nori. Uh, Dory came on one side, I banished him to the corner with a two, and Dane came on on a uh, four across the northern board edge. But what really stung for me was the two ones that I rolled for both of my bears. I wasn't game enough to use a point of might to get the two to come them on the board, to bring them on the board wherever my opponent wanted. So I was just going to have to sit and rest on my laurels to see where I, what I could do with this force uh, as the game progressed. To make matters worse, the script completely flipped and I won priority on the next turn, forcing me to come on in a really, really awkward position against the dwarves. I did roll a nice 4 with um, Bayon. So I was able to come on in a relatively okay position. So I decided to go ambush Nori's war, uh, sorry, not Nori, Dory's warband. I moved on, uh, created the uh, opportunity to do the sneaky transform into a bear, push my own model out of the way, and then create a gap that he could run through, uh, whilst not being able to be charged by the dwarves on the on that uh, following turn. But the thing that really, really hurt me was. Grimbayon once again rolled a 1, which meant my forces were very much divided and in a very precarious position. Nori came in for the flank, and now I was in a bit of a rock in a hard place. Nori and Dory were flanking me uh, on this board, and although I did have this uh, Easterling-like uh, uh, house that was kind of in the way, anchoring my side, I was very much boxed and hemmed in. Dane had a clear shot to the center of the table, which had this really interesting, like, uh, bridge and, like, like koi pond reedy type things. So, Dane, although he wasn't in the fight, was pretty much where he wanted to be, which was running for the objective uh, with his entire horde of uh, guys. So, in the next turn, I brought on Grimbayon with using a point of might to make sure he could come on to help his dad and got stuck into it. The combats were pretty brutal. Uh... I got kind of, not enveloped, but kind of, sort of, um, uh, pincered from both sides. Uh, I did get the transform with Bayon in, and I was able to get him uh, into a, a sneaky position where if my opponent wasn't paying quite attention, I could get the barge off and get into Dory. Uh, uh, sorry, not into Dory, into Nori. Like, so kind of like barge and then turn back around, because I had lost priority that turn, which meant... Sorry, I had one priority that turn, so I could buffer out the combat so that Nori's combat was going to go last. 
So what happened was Nori's combat went first, pushed back. I moved the one inch pushback from the Bayonings to get out of the way, and then I went Grim uh, Bayon's combat last. My opponent obviously couldn't, didn't see this possibility coming. Called for the barge, rolled the three plus that I needed, and Bayon turned around, went back into Nori, and one shot Nori out from nothing. This was a really good start for me, getting rid of one of my opponent's heroes, knocking out a, uh, knocking out a, a big portion of his might. And Grimbayon had come on at this point and was threatening a really decent flank. He did get pinned, so he wasn't in bear form just yet. But I was hoping that with the amount of bear, uh, sorry, the amount of Grimbayons around him, he'd be able to win the combat, kill the models he was in combat with, and eventually get into bear form. Once again, I was able to get a nasty charge on into Dory, uh, once again using the barge shenanigans. Uh, this time my opponent did go for the uh, defense up, but alas, uh, with the sheer reckless hate of my dwarves, I was able to just go straight through the heroic defense. Uh, Dory at this point was already down to one might. I got two natural sixes, and yeah, I flopped fate roll, and bye-bye Nori. Bye-bye uh, Dory. So I got rid of the two kind of auxiliary heroes, the two support heroes, and was kind of fighting my way out of this corner that I had set myself up into. The real problem was my opponent had cottoned on to the fact that he was dying and dying pretty quickly. So he was now suiciding his troops into my models uh, as recklessly as he can, you know, going for stabs, uh, trying to do everything he could to make sure his models died so the game would end with him on the objective. And basically at this point, I had to play the numbers game. I had to count. I was constantly, every turn, asking my opponent, how many models do you have to your break? How many models do you have to your break? And kept using the, the bears as these kind of shepherds to barge models and dwarves back, keep barging him, keep barging him, keep barging him, whilst my Bayonings uh, put on their Nike boots and ran for the objective as quickly as possible. I did manage to get to the objective uh, in time uh, before my opponent's army broke and that was really significant for me because I was guaranteed at least two turns of fighting on the objective before we could start to roll for the game with end. I did a cheeky little barge, you know, throwing uh, one dwarf into the kind of horde of all my um, Bayonings whilst Bayon and Grim Bayon went for a beeline for the center and eventually I did get a good charge on in the middle and now the fight was on. The first turn was was a bit dicey. Uh, we got I got the the dwarves burnt down. I, I got a lot of their models off the board. I even had a couple of Bayonings at the back uh, holding up a big squad of dwarves, uh, the leftovers from Nori's forband. So I was happy there to trade off two Bayonings to delay four dwarves. And I kept the pressure on, kept the pressure on, kept pushing into this objective, and even going recklessly, jumping up onto this bridge in the center of the uh, board uh, over this koi pond to make sure that um, I have models on the objective in good spaces and was in a position to hit back. Even though I was going to potentially get trapped, the main thing here was I was able to keep pressure on into the center of the bay. Dane was like all happy days, shielded and sheltered in the back. So I was able to keep pushing the advantage and eventually carve a, carve a hole uh, in with Grim Bayon and Bayon where the Bayonis could start really getting on the objective. I was really horrible for jump test to get up onto this bridge, so I wasn't able to get the charge off, but my Bionics held true, and after the first round of combat, the game didn't end, uh, which would have ended in a draw on the first roll, uh, didn't end, and I was able to, uh, to convert the draw into a major win at the end of it with an 8-0, just grinding my way out. There was even a, like a, a brutal turn 
uh, on the second to last turn or the second to last roll where uh, Dane went absolutely gangbusters, like killed uh, killed one Bayoning in combat, heroic combat into another Bayoning, uh, uh, and one that was wounded and killed ended up killing three. Uh, this is off the same turn where Grimbayon had lost so many combats in a row, he was now off the objective, kind of a deal. But we kept putting the pressure on, kept going for the going for the objective, and uh, yeah, secured the uh, the eight nil win, which was yeah very very important to, to get this big win here because uh, this tournament was all about who can not drop a game. Uh, we had eighty players at this uh, event, so I was yeah in in the same mindset as Nova, one loss and I'm out. Uh, so I had to keep going, had to be playing aggressive. Now, game three, I'm up against um, Daniel, a uh, good friend of ours, uh, one of the drinking buddies in the community. And Daniel was running a really interesting list. He was running Azog uh, on White Wag, and then four Ogres, two Bats, and then a plethora of Gundabad Berserkers. So we were very even on killer potential. And I, I, noted, I mentioned at the start of the game, this game is got, not going to go longer than an hour. This is going to be volatile as anything. And Daniel Daniel kind of agreed. Uh, this is also one of the games that was streamed as well. So if any of you are out there, I'll put a link in the description for the games that were streamed. And yeah, I think you guys really enjoy having a uh, checking out this game because this game was uh, this game was a bit of a heart attack for me. This was probably the, the one of the hardest games I had uh, over the course of this entire trip, not just this tournament. And this one this one gave me a big heart attack. So we ended up getting the objective missions. Uh, straight up, my opponent got rid of uh, domination, and although I felt confident in being able to win a game objective game, I decided to get rid of breakthrough because with the bats and the move eight, my opponent has a really good chance of being able to get into my backline and really make a mess of things. So I ended up going for the um, capture and control. Uh, was what I ended up, uh, what we ended up opting into. So, my plan here was to go strong side, weak side. <coughs> uh, strong side, weak side. Really press my advantage on one side of the table. Try and break through, get across to my opponent's back objective, and basically hold my objective, my opponent's objective, and the far left objective in this scenario. We were playing on this like uh, Shire board with like barrels and, 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 and a fairly open center with some um, crates and stuff in the middle. But what was really going to be interesting in this game was what could Azog do to really threaten uh, threaten my line. So I set myself up in such a way where the bats and wags uh, couldn't really get in and uh, charge on turn one. And my goal here was trying to burn down a couple of the trolls really quickly. Get in, heroic combat, Kill two trolls. Doesn't matter how much might I spend. I just needed to get rid of some of these ogres. If I can get rid of these ogres, get some pressure, maybe kill um, um, some um, uh, uh, berserkers off the off the residual. I should be in a good place to, to run away with this game. But unfortunately for me, turn one went probably as bad as it could have possibly gone. Uh, Grimbayon and Bayon went in, uh, both of which caught her at combats. As I said, I wanted to be really aggressive from the get-go in this game. I wanted to put the pressure on Daniel, make him sweat so he didn't have the model count advantage that he did have in this game. I got the uh, first kill. Uh, sorry, the first combat, uh, I didn't get the kill. In fact, Grimbayon 
didn't roll higher than a3 and bounced off a Gundabad troll. To make matters worse, the Gundabad troll swung around and absolutely punished Grimbayon, dealing, I think it was three flat wounds and basically knocking off Grimbayon's fate. All of these fate. Down to one wound to my. And once I saw this, I was like, oh crap. I'm in trouble. I just lost a heroic combat that I should have won. Uh, didn't get the kill conversion on that ogre, and I ended up having to burn uh, an extra point of might with uh, Bayon to win combat against his troll uh, ogre, kill his ogre, and then move into the ogre that Grimbayon just bounced off to make sure I had those two ogres killed. But the thing that really hurt me here was I really wanted the two ogre kills this turn, as well as a couple of extra of these uh, berserkers that I needed to cut through to get to his back objective. <sighs> Essentially, Losing this combat with Grimbayon meant that, yeah, I was in this awful position where my plan of breaking through to my opponent's back line was out of the question. It wasn't really going to happen. I had to come up with a new way of trying to win this game. So, recap. We are getting absolutely pummeled. We did get rid of the two ogres for uh, two points of might, but it ended up being a lot more than two points of might. It ended up being a whopping... Five points of might. No, no, sorry, not five. Four points of might. I ended up having to spend all of Bayon's might to convert these kills on these ogres because after losing the first combat, I, I had to get rid of this other ogre. That there was just too much of a problem, too much damage potential and barge potential going into the late game. I had to get rid of him. So I burnt all the Bayon's might to get rid of this last ogre uh, to force through the, the one, the combat rose, and two, to actually sink a wound through as well at one point because I just rolled that badly. And, yeah, had to really come up with something else. My Bayonings weren't doing too great. I lost one to a heroic combat off Azog and then another off the Collateral. So I was down a couple of Bayonings on top of that and only hadn't really taken off as much as I was hoping to. Yes, I got rid of two Ogres, which are obviously way more than um, the Bayonings, but I had spent four might to do so and I had taken three, uh, two wounds on Bayon, uh, Grim Bayon and lost all his fate. So... I had to really come up with something on the next turn. Fortunately for me, I did get a saving grace. This next turn was, if the last turn was about as bad as it could go, this next turn was about as good as it could go. Uh, Azog uh, didn't opt uh, to go into a really aggressive position and threaten into Grimbayon. He couldn't get to Bayon at this point because Grimbayon was kind of in the way, but Grimbayon still had might, so Azog wasn't feeling too confident going in just yet. Uh, not while there was so much support from the Bayoning. So he ended up just going in and trying to kill another random Bayoning. Bayon ponied up and got a couple more kills on uh, the Berserkers, rolling his way out of trouble. But it was the Bayonings that absolutely shone through this turn. One pushback Azog, and then pretty much every Bayoning won combat and killed either a Berserker or, as one of them, uh, one of the Bayonings uh, did, put two wounds on a random Ogre. So this, this was the absolute godsend turn. This was the turn I needed to kind of stabilize uh, I, a little bit that I needed to. Make sure I got the, the uh, zone control and objectives. Because I was only holding two objectives to my opponent's three. So I was you know, under pressure to really push forward. In fact, my ability to kill my opponent was so hot. My dice was so hot going into turn two and turn three. That I actually had my opponent's... Uh, army broken at the end of turn three, which was absolutely staggering to think of. 
having the uh, army broken was really bad news for me because I was out of position. I wasn't anywhere near the objectives at this point. <clears throat> and I was going to be really struggling to go through and get to these back objectives with all the models in the way. My opponent won a really critical roll-off at this turn too, knowing he was broken and uh, the game would maybe end at the end of this turn. He managed to get a Clutcheric move-off and even sneak into Grim Bayon and Bayon uh, with a sneaky model each at the end of this turn and really put the pressure on me. I did go for the strikeout this turn with uh, 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 Grim Bayon uh, to try and uh, get some pressure on Azog. Uh, and I did win the combat. Uh, which was nice, but uh, my bear hug unfortunately uh, flopped on the second or third wound. So as I was still pretty fresh going into uh, the next remaining turns, uh, and yeah, the next remaining turns was big because I was down a total of one VP. Yes, I had the break, but I didn't have the leader wound, and my opponent had three objectives to mine too. So six five losses is still a loss. This was not looking good for me. I tried to go for a Hail Mary barge at the end to maybe pull and force a draw, or if I had rolled a six, barge onto the center objective and flip it into my favor, or at least flip it neutral. But alas, Bayon couldn't roll high enough and ended up uh, going into Azog and bouncing. Uh, cupping a couple of wounds for his trouble. Luckily I passed him on fate this time around, so I wasn't quite out of the woods yet. The bats were keeping uh, my opponent in the game and really haranguing me at the back here. Uh, one back in particular had like killed two Bayonians by the end of this game and like knew, had flipped my back objective neutral as the game went on. But luckily for me, even though I had priority and I was so nervous, I rolled the dice to see if the game would end and I rolled a four, keeping the game going for at least one more turn. And that was all I needed. I was pretty sure that. With the models I had left available to me, I could at some point get a model onto a back objective and be able to at least flip it neutral and be able to swing the game back into my favor at the very least to a 4-5 my way. Uh, and yeah, I, I did exactly that. I sacked Bayon for a turn. He went and grabbed the back objective on my opponent's side of the table. I consolidated all my Bayonings around the Azog combat and really tried to put some pressure in and get through the remaining models. Unfortunately, Azog, having the amount of might and master battle that he did, did take down Grim Bayon, uh, kind of for free in this, this situation, uh, but there wasn't really much I could do about that at this point. He used forced out the last of his might and now the, it was just a grind game. I kept fighting, kept pushing it out and as, as the game kept playing out this game, I managed to keep extending the lead by one or two victory points every turn and what should have been my opponent's win uh, on the first roll ended up being a massive win in my favor 8-3. He did have one objective at the end of the game because he pushed back Bayon uh, doing a wound and holding the center objective because he pushed Bayon off it. So it was a very, very close, uh, close shave in this game. I always feel really kind of like... Um, not upset, but like really disappointed with myself or really nervous with myself. I guess you could say whenever there's one of the break and roll games where it ends on the first roll, I always hate being in that position where I basically am praying for the, the game to go another turn. And even though I knew I probably had the game for when the other turn, I mean, there, there's another 33% of the ultimate world possibilities out there where that game ends on that roll and Daniel goes through to the next round and I uh, kind of self-knock myself out. So I got very lucky here. Honestly, I... I feel like that was the game for me, was, was the luck. I had this idea, this strategy that I wanted to play out, but unfortunately I just couldn't get it, couldn't convert it, just couldn't get through 
these these last uh, few uh, kind of massive combats and stuff. So, Daniel, I have to say, you gave me a hell of a game. Pushed me to the absolute breaking point. And, yeah, mate, congrats on just absolutely tearing it, tear, tearing, tearing me apart. You had such a really interesting and unique list that I, I didn't rate very much when I first saw it on the table, but after seeing it played and how it went, uh, it's really, really creative what you did here, and uh, good luck for the rest of the tournament. So at this point, we're at the halfway point through the tournament, the end of round three, so we're done with day one going out for the social night. Now, normally we would have to like drive out to a place or whatever, but uh, tonight uh, we got to stay in the RSL that we were uh, playing at. So had a couple of drinks there, uh, talked some shop, and uh, got the band back together for some sneaky shenanigans. We uh, did some spooking, did some uh, did some chatting with the, the group, and... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil a little bit of a surprise here, but I think we're going to have a really big team of Aussies going to Articon next year. I was talking to most of the players, at, some of the players at the tournament that I think would be interested, and we drummed up a lot of interest for Articon, particularly with the Masters. Since I had already qualified, re-qualified for the Masters next year, that meant there was two tickets in our hemisphere, essentially, one for Clash of the Titans and one for the New Zealand uh, final. So the Aussies were really keen to go grab those tickets and lead a massive invasion into Articon next year. So guys, watch out the rest of the world because you won't just be dealing with me next year. You will be dealing with a fully fledged team of nine Aussies at Articon next year. That's right. I'm calling it now. We're going to get the full team of nine. We're going to come in and oh, I'm super looking forward to seeing uh, how... Uh, how our team goes uh, because we're going for it all we're going for the massive win here we're going for that big title and uh yeah should be a lot of fun going into Articon and stuff and yeah we talked shop late into the night uh, on that Saturday talking about ideas and possibilities of what we're going to do for Articon so yeah hope you guys are looking forward to that but well, half an hour in I'm going to take a quick break leave you with some music and then when we come back I will get into the three games on round Welcome back, friends, for the second half of this episode. Uh, we're into day two now, and we're looking strong. We're looking in a good position. We have three wins under our belt, an 8-3 against Daniel, uh, a 8-0 against Eric, and a six nil, uh, an 8-0 against Chris. So we're in strong stead. We, we, we have good positioning, got a few majors under our belts, and we're looking to, 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 to run home with this, really make a real effort at trying to get this... Uh, get this title because let me tell you getting getting a win ho at, at home after the big trip i had is a definite goal I, I wasn't like gonna sweat and go super hardcore for it but i wasn't gonna slouch either we have some big impressive games to have to deal with before we can even have a chance at getting into this championship round so round four i'm up against jack and he is playing a Lothlorien Rohan Green Alliance and we were in the object scenario so uh, capture the flag also known as retrieval 
uh, seize the prize and destroy the supplies. So knowing, looking at my opponent's force and with the sheer amount of maneuverability he had, I basically went, cool, we are definitely not playing destroy the supplies. My opponent looked at my force, knowing that my bears could basically get 11 inches on the first turn, uh, turned around and went, yeah, we're, we're not playing, um, uh, we're not going to play uh, uh, the nasty, nasty Caesar's prize. So we ended up into retrieval, which is kind of what I thought we would end up with. Uh, I should also mention, sorry, it was the inverse for the uh, vetoing. My opponent did veto first and took away Caesar's prize, uh, and I veto second and took away destroy the supplies. So, interesting game this one was... Oh, wait, what am I talking about? It was the inverse. My opponent got rid of, I think, Destroy the Supplies. Or did I? You know what? I don't think it matters. We can debate this all we want later, but uh, the, the point of the matter is we ended up playing Aliens of Ages... Uh, not Aliens of Ages Pass. Uh, retrieval, which was go capture the flag, run into your opponent's deployment zone. So, the Borborom was Bree, which had a lot of big blocky uh, line of sight blocking buildings uh, and this basically created a lot of streets uh, these big wide almost uh, six inch wide five four inch wide streets uh, that basically crisscrossed a lot across the board there were a couple of open areas like the big square and stuff like that but for the most part it was a big blocky street alley game I deployed my forces in such a way where if uh, Aemwyn or uh, Aemi wanted to be really aggressive on the first turn, could deploy on the line and charge, but the infantry wouldn't go and be in range to support. There was one big corridor down the centre of the board where I was basically threatening the bears. I had my, uh, I was able to hedge my bets on deployment about which way I was going to go. I could go to the left, I could go to the right and get behind these buildings, but essentially a big street down the middle with like a T intersection just behind the uh, my opponent's where my opponent deployed, and there's a big open space on my right, and then a bit more congested on my left where it would take me a few turns to walk around to get the flank. My opponent deployed uh, uh, Caliborn and his Gladrum captain, basically smack bang in the middle of the board, in the middle of this like street fight area. And Aemir and Aemir, interestingly, stood at the back. Now, I thought this was a bit weird that my opponent would, you know, deploy so far back on the first turn and basically seed a lot of the threat that they would have on my back objective. I only had 17 models, so I didn't have a big luxury of being able to con uh, to commit or reserve some, like, a, a, enough Bionis to hold my back line and protect my objective. Fortunately for me, my opponent uh, opted to play through the middle, trying to get his pikes to really come to bear and put through this choke. But I kind of called his bluff here, going, "If you've got choke, if you want to fight in a choke, that's that's all well and good. But I have a really big bear, like a really big bear, like the kind of bear that can just tear through an army. In fact, I've got two of them." And two of them is enough to hold this entire choke point in the center of the table and allow me to grind out because I pulled out my tape measure and looked how many turns it would take Amir to kind of uh, gallop his way around this big building and it would take him three turns on the f and on the fourth turn he'd be able to charge. So I figure I've got four turns to really make a mess of this choke point in the middle. So turn one, my opponent wins priority, kind of shuffles forward a bit, taking the choke completely and fully. And I transfer my two bears and charge straight into combat. I don't go fully deep, uh, like all the way in, 
but I basically charged the model next to Caliborn and threatened the barge on turn one. My opponent kind of saw it, kind of didn't. He didn't strike, which I thought was a bit odd, but he did uh, decide to just cop it, figuring, well, as long as she has to get six wounds, I have full might and full fate, maybe I survive. <coughs> and I barged through, charged into Caliborn, and lo and behold, I only did four wounds. None of my other dice were even remotely close to uh, uh, pumping up with uh, might and stuff to get extra wounds through. So I settled for the four wounds, uh, figuring, well, it's not worth too much to get the extra wound here on Caliborn. I'll just take the one. I'll just take the four and see what happens, see if I can knock off some stats. I didn't knock off any might. Uh, Caliborn did survive uh, at the end of this turn on one wound, no fate, uh, which was very interesting. Uh, I could have definitely spent two points of might here to kill Caliborn uh, if I had had the foresight to do so at the start of the turn. But uh, I didn't. Obviously, I, didn't, I couldn't tell what my opponent's stats would be. So I just kind of had to grin and go, right, he's on one wound. I just need one combat now to, to basically kill him. This choke kind of manifested at this point where we're, we're fighting back and forth. And the next three turns of the game are pretty much just a grind fest. Uh, my opponent striking up, trying to get to higher. Uh, me just basically taking it on the chin and going, well, you probably can't kill me here. I think I just got to cop it and just try to weather the storm. Grimbay on did some sneaky things where he uh, uh, used a barge to push all the mobs back, recharge, and then um, uh, kill off, uh, peel Caliborn off the combat. Uh, even did some other stuff where I called a heroic combat to be able to charge, recharge, and then hurl into Bayon's combat and knock everything down. So I was able to buy Bayon some time as well as get a handful of kills. But meanwhile, whilst Amy was taking all this time to run around the back, get into the flank, I was doing the same on my left flank. So as Jamie is coming around the right with a handful of elves and a couple of riders, I was doing the same with a handful of Bayonings. And what this did was peel off a portion of the elves to try and come deal with these Bayonings that were trying to get in and down the side of this alley to support Bayon. Now I knew at this point the game was never going to come down to me grabbing the objective. It was just wasn't going to happen. We're in a choke. I had to get through big blocky terrain features and an alleyway where a single model can stall me for a whole turn. So I knew this game was going to come down to break without being broken and kill the leader. So those were my big prime objectives. Everything was going at those two and trying to keep myself alive. So that was head on VPs with these three VPs, which meant I now did, weirdly enough, have the luxury to drop back an extra couple of Bayonings to my uh, kind of objective where it sat on the back of the board. So I had four Bayonings kind of anchoring that down. I got lucky that I chose the board edge, so I was able to choose uh, the corner with the uh, with, with the objective kind of tucked in behind a building and a, and, a, and a fence section, wall and fence section. So I was pretty anchored up for that. Pushing further into this game, I was able to get a really cheeky barge off with uh, Grimbay on to reposition him to the back. So as I said, Amy was coming around the flank and he finally now on turn, I think four or five, got the angle in for the big flank on my back line. But Bayon, uh, Grimbayon rolled a big five off his barge, completely shifted back from the main line. Obviously the barge pushes model three inches away, five inches moved backwards. He's now well and clear of all that front rank in, in, the, in that choke point in, in, in amongst the, uh, the street fight. And was able to come back and basically go to Amir and go, Hey bro, I uh, know you want to charge, but you now have to deal with a bear. And Amir wasn't wasn't too thrilled about that. In fact, 
uh, Amir lost his first round of combat uh, against uh, a couple of Bayonings and took three wounds for his trouble, which was kind of nasty. Uh, uh, sorry, three wounds on his horse, I should say, not on Amir himself, uh, and blew through all his fate to keep his uh, uh, his horse alive. But knocked off all the fate, got him in a really nasty position, and Bayon, Grim Bayon was in a really uh, powerful position at this point. This is all the same, also the same turn where I won a roll off and was able to get. Bayon into Caliborn without, uh, with Caliborn no longer having might, and I happily spent my last point of night to knock off the Elven Lord and kill him, securing some points. Now, Bayon did cop a wound um, at this point through uh, just losing too many combats uh, and just trying to tank to uh, Caliborn Strike Offs, but I had the kill and my opponent only had the wound, so I knew I was up on VPs here, uh, so long as I could just keep my opponent broken and keep myself uh, preferably unbroken, but Broken as well at this point wasn't too bad of a trade. <coughs> finally, that left hand flank that I was talking about finally managed to manifest itself. I managed to get in and get into these elves on the corner. Uh, they looked, uh, my opponent uh, tried to like really pike up and get into this like little choke point here uh, to stop me getting into the street because uh, this was the smallest of all the choke points. It was only a four inch wide gap. But uh, I did some sticky shenanigans since my opponent's shield wall wasn't perfect. Got a couple of uh, Bayonings into one single combat and then shot my great bows into some of the Gladrin pikemen. Killed a pikeman, killed a guy in front, and at that point it was down to one on ones. And when you have one on ones where you have the, the, the better kill potential, more dice, it doesn't matter if you're higher fight value or have Elven Blades, eventually you're going to lose a combat and die. And that's exactly what happened. The Bayonings just cut through them, walloped through. And once I broke that fight, got the Bayonings down into the street to help Bayon, uh, I was able to break my opponent and win the game 5-1. Just, yeah, blunted all the major charges from all of the nasty cavalry heroes. Uh, dealt with Eowyn really cheekily. I did a sneaky um, uh, heroic combat with uh, uh, Grim Bayon to angle up a hurl and then knocked her off her uh, horse, uh, chipping off some wound and stats there. So... End of the day, did really well here, got the 5-1. The game kind of went almost exactly how I expected it to from deployment. It's really interesting how uh, you can sometimes see uh, how a game's going to probably play out uh, during deployment, and it's just whether the dice are land in your favour. So, really happy to get the win here. Really glad that my strategy that I came up with at the start of the game uh, had won me in the game. And, yeah, looking forward to running into the next game, which is the big round five, the penultimate game. This round uh, was the, the round. If I won this one, I was going to go through to the final round and have a crack at that championship. But it was not going to be easy. I was against the Travelling Kiwis. We had a couple of Travelling Kiwis over for this tournament, and Guy was an absolute champ in this game. He was running a really nasty list of Bayon, uh, sorry, of the Watcher in the Water, a Cave Drake, a Captain Grubbog Shaman, and a whole bunch of goblins, even a Warg Marauder and a Bat kicking around to support him in that regard. So I was a little worried uh, going into this round. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to deal with a lot of this. Uh, this is going to be a very, very nasty game because he has all the tools he needs to be able to cut through and kill my bears. In terms of scenarios, once again, we're on the, we uh, we were playing uh, the uh, unique scenarios, also known as the uh, kill the enemy hero scenarios. So uh, we had ill met by moonlight, um, fog of war, and uh, 
So, ill met by moonlight, fog of war, and assassination. So, seeing what my opponent had, my opponent, uh, I won the roll off, so my opponent had to veto first. Uh, he opted to get rid of um, uh, ill met by moonlight, which I thought was interesting in this regard. Not wanting to deal with the power of my great bows. Which was fair enough, my great bows are pretty nasty, especially against what he had. Uh, and ended up, we ended up playing uh, Fong of War because there was no way in hell I was playing Assassination when my opponent has the Watcher in the Water. Now we're on the stream board again, so again you can see this game uh, play out for realsies. And I had a choice to make, I had a massive choice to make. Uh, obviously Grimbayorn was going to be my Protect model and was going to be my opponent's target since I only had two heroes and you can't beat the leader. But the real question is who was I going to try and kill? And which terrain piece was I going to try and capture? Now I'm denied. I'm denied for this for a bit of a bit of a you know probably longer than I probably should have. Uh, the terrain piece was eventually easy enough to figure out. I had to have something close to the center of the board, uh, somewhere where I could get to because with six inch move, uh, it was going to take a while for my bayonets to cross that threshold, get into my opponent's side of the board, and capture something. Especially when I was going to be going slow, only waddling forward three inches a turn with the great bows. I picked a little barrels or very center to the center of the board, figuring if the game goes my way and I'm able to play it out the way I want to, I'll be able to uh, barge models away from it and get the bears to basically clear out this little uh, barrels. We agreed at the start of the game, by the way, that base contact was good enough for the objectives. So yeah, interested to see how this was going to play out. The big question was who was I gonna kill? Now I figured the goblins were going to be bubble wrap to all eternity. They're gonna be back wine, they're gonna be you know, fully surrounded by his um, opponent's army. So I figured very quickly that Roblox and the Shaman weren't going to be the models I was going to try and kill. Obviously, I couldn't, I couldn't pick the captain because the captain was a leader. I know, weird choice to pick the captain over Grubblog, but hey, that floats you go. The real question is then, well, if I'm not picking the, uh, the goblins, I'm picking one of the big nasty beasties. Which beastie am I going to pick? I am denied for it about a while. I was considering the Watcher since I can knock it down and only has the one point of might. But in the end I opted for the Cave Drake and I'll tell you why. Throughout the course of this uh, game I was trying to figure out how am I going to be able to win this game? What can I do to manufacture a win? What needs to happen in terms of engagements, uh, models fighting which models in order for me to get the win? So I quickly figured out um, that unless I get very, very lucky, the Watcher is eventually going to come down, pull uh, Grimmayon out of the main combat, and pull him into the Watcher kill box with the bat and all the other nasty little goblins around. So I knew that was going to happen. The question is how was I going to react to it? How was I going to deal with it? And after some umming and ahhing and trying to figure out how I was going to do it, I realized the main way I'm going to be able to win this game is Bayon going into the cave drake, heroic combating off the cave drake, into the watcher of the water to peel the watcher of the water off the combat with Bayon. Uh, with, with, uh, off the combat with Bayon and to save Grim Bayon. That was my win condition. I had to manipulate the table so that he was slightly out of position because 33% chance uh, sorry, 66% chance the watcher was going to come down and be able to set it up like that. So I just had to go in and bite the bullet, get in, and really 
just make a mess of things. So I tried to pull my opponent around, make it unsure about where I was going. I even managed to kind of get into his head a little bit. Uh, Grublog was up the front for one turn, and I just basically threw every great bow I had, knocked off a, wound, uh, a couple of wounds off Grublog. He did pass his fate, but I kind of just said to my opponent, well, hey, you put your Grublog at the front, I'm just going to take my VPs when they had. And basically, really lent into the whole hey, I've scored a VP here for wounding the hero uh, target I have. What are you going to do about it? My opponent then widely rotated and put everything at the back, but the only thing was I felt like I got into Guy's head a little bit here. Specifically, he balled up a little bit tighter than probably he needed to uh, and went center, front and center. But typically on this turn, he didn't push the Drake all the way forward or keep the Drake all the way back. He was kind of in this really awkward position. Uh where it was a little bit further forward, but notably, there was no peel for this combat. There was nothing that could uh, save uh, this Drake and help get models off the combat. So once I saw this, I, I counted the models, and I'm like, I've got five Bionings and both bears in range here. It's go time. Everything ran straight at the Drake, fast as I could, getting into range, looking to, to, to get in and get the... Uh, get the charges on, on these Drake, and really try and get this move off that I wanted to. I got both bears in, I won the priority on the next turn, got in, uh, and set myself up for success. The only really annoying thing in this uh, this case was that my Bionics were failing courage tests left and right. The Harbinger was doing absolutely mental things to me. I kept failing with the two-handed axes too, which was really, really unfortunate. I really needed those two-handed axes to be able to get into piercing strike two-handed. And I think I only got uh, one or two of them in and a couple of the archers. The archers getting in was a bit of an annoyance because, uh, yeah, I really, really didn't want the archers in. I'd prefer them to fail and the axes to go in. But nonetheless, I went in and set myself up. Now, the, the uh, Watcher got a good set of tentacles. Uh, he got a big five. But the way the Watcher came down was really, really, really awkward. Now, I had the priority, so I was... Pretty confident that even if things went really bad, uh, I could um, possibly charge a goblin, hurl the goblin in the combat, knock all the goblins down, and with heroic defense be able to survive a turn. But the Watcher was kind of in this really awkward position where it was also trying to like help and box out for the uh, combat to protect the Cave Drake. <coughs> I had my opportunity. I had my situation. I managed to engineer this massive combat where Bayon could call the heroic combat and really go go for broke. Really go in and try and sit the things. I had to call the defense with uh, Grim Bayon. Obviously, I was up against you know two, three prowlers and uh, bat swarms and stuff. Bunch of attacks. I needed to mitigate that. Didn't want the backstabbers getting nasty. So I went screw it. Went the defense. Um, Figuring I'm going to be low fight early and call the heroic combat with Bayon. And this is where my opponent was like, oh, heroic combat, okay. Uh, well, first of all, heroic strength with the Drake, that's right. A heroic strength was used in this game because Bayon's strength 8 with Monstrous Charge. He would knock over the Drake, but with heroic's just uh, defense, um, uh, with heroic strength, I wasn't going to get the knockdown. And that was really, really big. I kind of knew that was going to be the case, and that's why I was really needing those uh, two-handed axes to really get in. Because forced to win on the two-handed axes, I get a couple of those in. If I'm able to get a couple of wounds here and there, that takes off the pressure of Bayon having to do heaps and heaps of wounds. And maybe if I'm lucky, 
make it so that he doesn't have to go for the bear hug to try and get the kill. He could just go with just straight up strikes. So lo and behold, the I uh, win the combat, and the axes and the, and the, and the um the regular guys did work. They they absolutely went crazy. I think got like three four wounds into the drake, meaning Bayon only needed three wounds to guarantee it, and Bayon just went absolutely crazy. Went in, rolled uh, did a whole bunch of wounds. I flipped another might point to make sure that I converted the kill with with no um no chance of the uh heroic combat going off uh but yeah got in killed the drake in one shot and was able to push uh, a couple more uh, uh bayonings and bayon because that's how far up i was into the watcher of the water so i was able to get another massive charge on the big watcher and hopefully take out both monsters this turn i was a little surprised that my opponent didn't um set up so to have like grublog or the captain uh, in the combat as well, because I think my opponent definitely needed to go for the heroic combat uh, against uh, Grimbayon here. Losing the 12 dice uh, from the Watcher in the Water, now, obviously he was going to have the higher fight value regardless with the Bat Swarm, but having the Watcher in the Water uh, be able to throw 12 strikes could have been enough to, to bring Grimbayon down, because at the end of this first kind of big round of combats, uh, Bayon took uh, three wounds. So it was going to be enough to, essentially, uh, essentially, sorry, not four, three wounds, four wounds, uh, was going to be enough to, could have been enough maybe to, if he rolled lucky and got a whole bunch of sixes, go in and burn down uh, um, Grim Bayon and get some really, really nasty uh, wounds in on him because, uh, yeah, only two wounds short, that's about what you could expect to get from um, old, uh, old the old Watcher. Now Bayon did get the uh, get the charge off again, as I said, into the Watch of the Water, and I was able to convert the kill there, uh, knocking out both of the big beasties at the end of this turn. And I was feeling pretty confident with myself. I got the kill on the target that I needed, although Grim Bayon um, uh, was in a bit of a shaky position. I figured I was in for a chance here, as long as I could break this goblin. Horde. And I'd already knocked out basically 350 points worth of goblins at this point in the game. Uh, I even managed to get a uh, uh, kind of one of those lose priority and then win priority charge into the the um, the Warg Marauder. So the Warg Marauder wasn't looking too great off on his right flank. And yeah, I was able to really make a mess of this goblin ar army. And basically from here on in, it was grind out grind out grind out bayon went wide um trying to sweep into these uh main uh, main scene combats uh using barges and hurls to really keep the goblins flat-footed and clustered in amongst their bubble and clear off the objective that i needed to capture and once i had that objective cleared out and the goblins running away trying to run towards their objective i knew i was in good chance to have the game at a bare minimum uh i figured i would you know be able to secure uh, nine ten points regardless of what my opponent had i did get unlucky that bayon did take a uh take a wound in the end uh he entered the game on two wounds just some sneaky wounds coming in uh here and there but the main thing was i had killed my target and i knew my opponent had a ki hadn't killed mine yes he had wounded which was uh, a bit of a swing but there's only one point my opponent got in this game and that was uh that was um Winning, uh, winning Grimbayon, uh, 
with with the uh, cheeky prowls and stuff like that. So yeah, really great game. I, I'm so happy that I was able to kind of analyze at the start of the game and figure out what was my win condition. What did I need to have happen in this game for me to have the win? Because against the Watcher on the Water, you just can't fight it front to back. You just cannot fight that thing head on. And yeah, was able to get in, engineer the situation that I needed to engineer to win the game. And it always is a good feeling when you have a plan and it works. Like, uh, you, they always say no plan survives contact with the enemy, but it's been really weird. All my plans, my big scoping, branching plans have, have worked so far. So hopefully I can keep that up going into the final championship round. And this game was going to be absolutely rough because I was up against a good friend of mine, a, another small like-minded friend. I was up against Andreas, uh, one of the mainstays of the uh, New South Wales community here in Australia. And as I said, Andreas is a great friend. He was running a really nasty list and I was a little bit worried going into this game because all we had left were maneuvering scenarios, which meant divide and conquer, um, uh, reconnoiter and possibly uh, even um, <clears throat> oh damn it what's the other one divide and conquer reconnoiter and what what's the last one why can I not remember the last one storm the camp that's it storm the camp is the last one so roll for veto I was like no way in hell am I playing storm the camp against three ants and a wizard uh, yes that's right you heard that all right Andreas is running three ants as a wizard now Andreas has run uh, the Ents before and done really really well with them. He's probably one of the best uh, players I know of who plays Ents and understands the Ents to a degree that I don't think many other players in the world would understand the Ents to. Uh, and teamed up with the Wizard, it was a really nasty proposition going into this last and final game. So we ended up playing uh, Divide and Conquer, because uh, Andreas didn't want to play uh, Reconnoiter, knowing that if I get uh, six models off the get bo board, it's guaranteed draw, and if I get seven models off the board, it's guaranteed win, regardless of what Andreas was going to do about it. So we were playing uh, run, uh, Divide and Conquer, and this was going to be interesting. I, my, my goal for this game was get the Bears linked up and present a united front to these ants. And I figured the best way I could do that was run at uh, Quick Beam and Beachbone, specifically run at Beachbone because he's the slowest. But Andreas, he knew what he was doing. And I don't know how, but after deployment, again, this is on stream, I'll post the links up. He found this winding eight, 80 mil corridor through the center of the table where I couldn't get charges off. And I couldn't threaten in with the bears off like a move and charge and stuff. And I was just awe-stricken that Andreas found this gap through the center of the table. And he was even able to get a cheeky turn where he could get the throw stones off. Now, I didn't think much of the throw stones. I figured I've got lots of fate. i got bear saves and stuff. Great bows. Shooting war probably isn't what Andreas wants because... If he shoots, he's going to be flat-footed for a turn, which gives me so much turn, uh, time and tempo to get in position. But, boy, was I wrong. The first stone of the game uh, hits Bayon, wounds him, and here's my leader, so I'm, I'm, I'm forced to use some, uh, some fate points here, and I promptly roll 1-1-1 on the fate. Ouch. 
I'm essentially starting the game with a two-win bear, and I am denied about using the three points of might to pass the fate here on the on the um on the last roll. But at the end of the day, I'm like, those three points of might are way too valuable to, to be wasting on saving a wound. I had to. I basically at this point had to go in, had to make an aggressive play on the ends, just run everything I had straight at the ends, try to get in, and maybe worst comes to worst, I trade off Bayon's might and uh, able to to swing the game around. <clears throat> now I did get a little bit uh, get a little bit back of my own. I managed to get a CQ bow shot off with one of my break great bows and D horse Saruman, so Saruman wasn't going to be as maneuverable as he usually did. Uh, usually is but this game was gonna yeah really come down to a wire the first few opening moves were absolutely critical uh, eventually uh, we both get uh, what we wanted I linked up my bears and Andreas linked up his ants uh, there was a really awkward moment where uh, the ants stood flat-footed uh, for a turn and threatened the three throw stones once again at Bayonne and knowing there was a grand total of six points of might behind these stones I was like I need to get some in the ways here uh, so I had to set it up so Grim Bayon was basically, uh, you know, putting his hands up, hiding Bayon behind him. Uh, and one stone did get through the in the way and hit and wound Bayon. So in the turn when we were about to get combat, Bayon is down to one wound. Not a place I wanted to be. Now this is where the game really came down to the, the, the slimmest of margins. A razor edge, if you will. We're in this awkward position where I wanted to get Bayon into uh, um, Beachbone so I could strength up and basically one-shot Beachbone because strength up, strength nine, it's enough to knock down an Ent. And Andreas is doing everything in his power to prevent that from happening. Uh, we set up shop. Uh, I go for the heroic move-off. Uh, I'm an R about whether to spend the point of might with Grimbayon or with Bayon. If I called it with Grimbayon, I could definitely get Bayon into uh, uh, Quick Beam. But at the end of the day, I figured, well, I need to trade off the Might. I need at least a Might point in the combat with one of the Ants with, with Bayon to make sure I'm in combat. Screw it. I'll call it with Bayon. Put both Bears down a 2. And sucked it up. Ran Bayon into Beachbone and Grimbayon into Quick Beam. I figured I can still strike with Grimbayon into Quick Beam and I can box out the combat uh, against... Uh, Treebeard, so Treebeard, yes, he could get back in, but he couldn't get any of the nasty shenanigans and stuff, and Bludgeon wasn't going to really work for the Ents, since uh, all my models had two wounds, and then, yeah, just committed models into the combats. I committed three Bionings into Beachbone, which forced Saruman then to, instead of trying to transfix uh, um, uh, Bayon, he went for the Blast to knock off the extra attacks and ability to wound with the regulars, and yeah, we just all in. I called a strike with Grim Bayon and a strike with Bayon, uh, getting my fight values up nice and high. The combats were boxed out, so I knew I was going to have higher combat uh, against uh, Quick Beam. So I knew I had a good chance of maybe uh, maybe even killing him. And Bayon was in a situation similar. I uh, was in combat with uh, uh, Beachbone, and it was just going to come down to the dice at this point. And the dice... Wow, did they, uh, I wouldn't say they, they graced me with their godly presence. More that they cursed Andreas. 
uh, in his presence. The strikeoffs came through for um, Bayon and Beachbone, and Bayon gets obviously gets to flat ten easily enough, but Beachbone rolls a big fat one and uh, loses the combat against Bayon. Bayon is now on one might. I think in Amunar, my Bayoning stand up because I got knocked down from Saruman, and I ended up going, well, I gotta be in it to win it. Bear hug. <clears throat> First bear hug comes through, I roll the two, and I, I'm looking at this two going, I need to get rid of this damn end. I spend the point of might to the three, and I do another three wounds to Beachbone, basically putting him into the position of, you need to pass your fate or you're going to die. Beachbone at this point has two might in the back pocket, so all he needs is a two plus to stay alive, and once again, the, uh, the dice gods curse Andreas, Andreas rolls the one. And down falls Beachbone, thunk into the into the ground, and once again, that was just a horrendous combat to have happen uh, for him. Uh, Grimbayon uh, struck up, obviously won his combat. He had to spend a point of might to win the combat, notably, but this time his uh, his bear hug went absolutely off without a hitch. Spends a point of might to convert the last wound, and down falls Quick Beam uh, to a similar fate. Uh, I will note that I am down to one wound left on Mayon, and uh, this is in a bit of a sticky situation, but two Ents down, yes, Treebeard is untouched, fresh as a daisy, but so much of Andreas's killing power was gone at this point, and I saw the look on his face once he lost Quick Beam, he was like, yeah, this game is probably done, uh, and hats off to Andreas uh, for playing out. He did uh, manage to get um, uh, kill Mayon with a uh, uh, sneaky... Uh, uh, transfix in sorry, sorceress blast from Saruman to knock Grimbayon down, which then allowed um, Treebeard to move into a position where next turn he could barge off the combat, heroic move, and since Grimbayon was knocked prone, didn't have enough move to get away, so was able to charge Grimbayon strike up and kill him. Andreas did go for the sorceress blast like kill straight up because at this point Saruman had a whole bunch of might. And didn't really have much else to use it, but uh, fortunately for Sar unfortunately for Saruman, he just couldn't roll the four plus to wound uh, uh, Bayon with the two points of might, so ended up coming down to Treebeard. So Andreas did get the uh, points in the end for for killing my leader, got the two points there, but everything else went really really poorly for him. Uh, and yeah, at the end of the day, I managed to win this game. I think it was like ten two or something like that. So. I got it. I got the homecoming win. I, I got the big tournament win at Masters, uh, Australian Masters, might I might add. And uh, yeah, uh, w w what a surprise! Like I, I knew I was in for a chance going into this tournament, but to to be able to go off Articon, off Nova, off New Zealand, and come into Masters even while sick with a croaky voice, and be able to come in and get this win was absolutely magical and. Yeah, it was it was an absolutely great way to, to end this big trip and bar all the controversy that I'm sure everyone has heard about uh, by now there's gone on the Australian Facebook page I'm not going to go into it here I don't think it's my place or in theme with any of the um, stuff that's happened with the uh, w with this kind of like little travel blog and stuff I will say I think uh, it was a bit of a failing by every player uh, who was uh, in or every not every player but every person that was involved with this, um, I think the the ruling on how the base 
and stuff with Bombadil was incorrectly ruled. I think the players who played against Bombadil didn't handle themselves very well. And I think the player ha uh, playing Bombadil uh, needs to have a big, long, hard think about uh, how they're going to uh, conduct themselves within the community because that kind of stigma about what you've done is going to be hard to shake and yeah I, I won't I, I won't say anything more other than that just everyone needs to have a big think about about what happened there but yeah kind of bring it back onto onto topic with um everything going on like to get the four wins uh for really big major tournaments and stuff was absolutely magical and um one of my friends actually jokingly mentioned well you've won in the UK you've won in Australia you've won in um uh, in uh, the US does that mean you have to go to France now to get the Grand Slam uh, so who knows maybe I'll try and find a way of getting down to France at some point for a cheeky tournament and try and get that because I, I, I can I, I am kind of enamored with uh, getting the Grand Slam now trying to get the uh, French win so French players out there I will be around at some point to, to have a crack at that because um yeah, getting, getting three big wins in uh, three separate continents was absolutely magical. So I would like to kind of cap that off at some point. But that's a, that's a future Kylie endeavor. Uh, and yeah, I, I yeah, it, it still doesn't feel real, um, this whole trip and stuff. And even on the, on, on the drive back, because uh, obviously a whole bunch of my uh, Melbourne friends and family were up here at this tournament. Uh, I road trip back with them all instead of flying back to Melbourne and I don't know there was just this serene feeling of peace and accomplishment it was such a strange feeling of like I've done everything I've ever wanted to do in this game in the hobby what do I do now and I'm still kind of thinking about that about what I want to do now what I where I want to take this game because after doing what I've done, I don't think I don't think there is anything else that I could reasonably comfortably say that I, I want to do. Obviously, I still love traveling and stuff, so I'll definitely try and get around to some of the other communities, particularly in mainland Europe at some point. But uh, yeah, uh, as you probably can tell, I'm I'm absolutely speechless, and I yeah, big big thank you to all my friends and stuff for putting up with me and big thank you for everyone else who's listened to these episodes and all the people that I've met along this way um, I've still got my uh, uh, dice tray that I've got all my opponents to sign and it's going to be such a great little uh, keepsake and memento with the, the, the 56 signatures I have on this tray uh, that's right, I've played 56 games over this trip so no wonder I'm absolutely uh, tired and and run down and sick because uh, yeah uh, this 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 trip is um yeah I can't express in words how much I have enjoyed this it's gonna be something I remember for years and years to come so I won't walk for long too much longer I'll leave it here I might do a special kind of recap reflections episode but that might be much much later because I still haven't fully reflected I've kind of just come back to Melbourne tried to rest up get over my illness and stuff and get back to work so without further ado thank you so much for listening and as always traps win games and i can safely say they very much do good night everyone
Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.